This is a broadcast of SmallCapVoice.com, a financial communications and investor relations firm. SmallCapVoice.com receives payment for investor relations and financial consulting services that it provides to its clients. You should assume that officers, directors, and employees of SmallCapVoice.com or financial analysts mentioned and their families hold a position and intend to trade in these securities for their own accounts. This is not an offer or recommendation to buy or sell securities. Information in this broadcast is presented solely for informative purposes and is not intended to be nor should it be construed as investment advice. As in all investments, an investment in a featured company carries an investment risk. Listeners should review the company thoroughly with a registered investment advisor or registered stockbroker. This broadcast does not purport to be a complete study of the featured company or other companies mentioned. Information used and statements of fact have been obtained from the featured company and other sources but not verified nor guaranteed by smallcapvoice.com as to completeness or accuracy. Such information is subject to change without notice. You're wired in smallcapvoice.com. Following is a presentation of smallcapvoice.com, today's leader in investor relations, capital formation, and retail support. Now, with your online business briefing, smallcapvoice.com's Stuart T. Smith. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us once again here at smallcapvoice.com, where we shine a spotlight on some of the smartest and freshest plays here on the small and micro cap markets. We're speaking once again today with TerraTech Corporation. TRTC is the ticker symbol for TerraTech Corp. And we're speaking once again with the chief executive officer of the company, Derek Peterson. Derek, welcome back. How are you doing today? Hey, Stuart. Thanks for having us back on. Appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. Thank you, as always, for taking time out of your very busy schedule to speak with us. We've got a lot to talk to you about today. Let's start with Bloom. Let's start with the recent filing of the Bloom Financials. Let's discuss those numbers, Derek. Yeah, so uh, anytime you close a merger, which we closed the uh, Bloom facility up in uh, Oakland, California at the end of Q1, uh, on March 31st to be exact, you have about 75 days to file uh, audited financials associated with that particular merger. So we filed uh, our 8K, which included those numbers, yesterday uh, early in the morning. And uh, it, was, uh, it was a pretty big milestone. It was the, you know, in our, uh, the first ever public audit by a PCOB firm for an operating medical marijuana dispensary cultivation facility and extraction lab. And we used uh, we used a firm called MGO out of California, which is one of the largest uh, PCOB auditing firms in the state, and they uh, actually audit most of the uh, public facilities in the state, the city of San Jose, San Francisco. So we really stepped up the caliber of auditor to make sure that you know the consumers and the investor shareholders and people that are interested in the company have some semblance of confidence that we're using major groups that audit, like I said, public facilities throughout the state. So. That was step number one, which was arduous in and of itself, and it took uh, it took you know the full duration of that seventy five days to get and conduct this audit with a full review. And again, we posted those numbers out there for the public to see, and it's been an interesting few days since then. So a lot of people have a lot of questions on a lot of different areas of those financials, but the biggest and in, 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 in first and foremost, people ask you know little questions like why are the cost of goods so high, for example. We operate in the state of California, and I've discussed this before in interviews, and I think you and I might have chatted about this before. Um, California is a not-for-profit state right now. That's changing with the new legislation, AB 266, and the MMRSA platform that's uh, coming into effect in early 2018 to turn it into a for-profit state. Municipalities, Oakland, for example, might bring in the for-profit effect sooner than that, but we're not going to rely on that. 
When that changes, we'll make adjustments to how we work with the financials. But if you look at the historical financials, we've operated that company as a not-for-profit. We've tried to spend down every dollar to net out to close to a zero the net income on an annual basis. Now, that will, of course, change and will operate the company from a leaner standpoint on a go-forward basis, specifically when those laws and regulations change, allowing us to do so. It's been a very active time since we did our last earnings call with you, and primarily the talk has been, as you said, around these new numbers. Now, we talked about why the cost of goods are so high. Let's discuss the 280E tax treatment. What does that mean for the people out there that don't know? Yeah, so that's something the industry as a whole suffers from. 280E is essentially a tax regulation that doesn't allow us to deduct our normal operating business expenses, so office equipment, computers, certain types of labors. The only thing it does allow us to deduct is the cost of goods, the cost of the product that we sell at the retail level. So that makes our effective tax rates very, very high in the industry, and that's something that we've been struggling with, and we're hoping to get some sort of resolution on that in the not-too-distant future. Fortunately, we're starting to get some governmental support, legislative support. Uh, the state representatives are now stepping up and uh, calling foul. You've got major corporations out there, Fortune 100 corporations out there, that pay effective tax rates less than 10%, yet the medical marijuana industry can be a lot higher than that, so uh, substantially higher than that. So that's something we struggle with. We're working through legislative means to get that change, but it's something that's, you know, that's currently going to exist in the marketplace right now for you know, at least the short run. And you know we'll figure out ways to adapt to it. You know we we're, we're as creative as we possibly can, but with you know we we certainly maintain and stay within the boundaries of what's appropriate from a filing standpoint. But again, you know the legislation will fix that over some time. It's a lot like the the headwinds we deal with with banking regulations and the lack of banking regulations. So those are the two most you know say significant issues that we deal with as operators are cash handling, lack of banking, as well as 280E. And we're all working hard collectively as, an, as, as, a, you know, as a consolidated industry to try to work to, to making some progress there over the next 12 to 18 months. You mentioned receiving some shareholder questions. We did as well. And there are some questions dealing with the structure with the platinum cultivation split with the old owners. Let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so some of the old owners uh, are, are staying on board to continue to operate the company. And we wanted to make sure that they continue to operate in the same manner they've operated in the past. Uh, and they're one of the reasons we were so successful. You know, we, we opened up very late in Oakland uh, compared to a lot of our competition there. But we've picked up a lion's share of the market share in the city because of our access to proprietary strains, our service, our skill sets, and those types of things. So we wanted to make sure we had continuity there. And the, the, the main, you know, the main thrust of that was keeping the Platinum Group involved in the day-to-day operations. So we've given them an operating contract. They have to perform, otherwise the contract gets canceled, number one. Number two, you know, we wanted to make sure we had their exp- expertise in, in operating in, in the new markets we're looking at as well. One of the reasons we were successful in, in the Nevada marketplace was because we have a long history of operating expertise, not only on the agricultural side, but also on the cannabis operations side. So Platinum's going to stay engaged. They have to p- perform uh, in, in, on the cultivation side as well. One of the reasons we produce a top-tier product that's driven a lot of traffic to the Oakland marketplace and why we see close to 1,000 patients a day is because of the quality of our product. And they've done a great job managing and operating the cultivation facility. So the deal structure, they basically and essentially continue to get 50% of the cultivation uh, proceeds after expenses for the next three years. So there's a 50% payout to them as a bonus 
for the next three years on that cultivation, after which it's 100% owned by Terratech. And it's 100% owned now, let me clarify that, but it's going to be 100% of the profit will be going to Terratech from that, uh, from that operating facility. And we did that for a couple reasons. Like I said, we wanted to make sure we had continued content, continuity in the, in, in the terms of the, the product that we're pushing out to the, to the retail facility, and that was important to maintain that. But again, they have to perform on that side as, uh, of the ledger as well. Let's talk a little bit about the rent expense that was filed. Uh, give us a background on some of those numbers. Yeah, I mean, if you go through most of our line items, you know, rent expense, for example, I think we pay you right around $30,000 a month in rent for, you know, something close to a 20,000-square-foot facility on an acre. A lot of people don't know this, but uh, Oakland is now the fourth most expensive rental real estate in the country, which, uh, which oh, every time I bring that up tends to surprise a lot of people. So Colliers International put out a recent report uh, for Q1 and, and Q4 of last year for the rental rates. So we're in a retail strip mall there with great re- road frontage, a ton of parking on almost an acre of a lot. And your average retail asking rental price is about 260 a square foot. So we're far under market as far as the rental expense is concerned. And we do, even though we were operating as a not-for-profit, we certainly make sure and make certain we look at every line item in the SGA and cost of goods to to really kind of uh, you know streamline operations, and even more so now that we've taken constructive ownership of the company, we've really gone through the P and L, and I think people will see some improvements in Q two, but we're really going to see the sem- you know significant semblance of improvements again when the for profit effect goes in. So we're really building market share, we're building consumer and customer loyalty in the space, we're continuing to grow top line revenue, and when the legislation allows us to operate as a for profit we'll really step on the gas pedal at that point. But we're positioning ourselves for the ability to be able to do that by, like I said, growing the top line, grabbing market share, and separating ourselves from the competition in, in Oakland, which is a competitive marketplace. Well, it is a competitive marketplace, and you are a company staying very competitive. Let's talk about the S3 filing. Let's get an update there. Uh, yeah, not much to update, and you know, I'm, I'm, my hands are a little bit tied for how much I can comment, but we do have an S3 filing for a $75 million shelf filing. Uh, you know, if it goes effective, we'll be the first person in the space for that to happen, like we were with the S1 filing. Um, so that being said, you know, nobody knows how things are going to work out from that perspective. But uh, we, we've worked very hard to file clean financials, to be on time with all of our filings. We AK all of our press releases that we put out. Uh, we've up, upgraded to the QX. We've, you know, set up our compensation committee and our corporate governance. So everything that we do, we try to act like an exchange-listed company, and, you know, it's just a matter of time before exchanges are going to be open to companies in our space. It may not be now, as we saw with, with the, the, the recent Mass Roots uh, news announcement that came out. But we certainly want to act like it, and we want to act like it in advance of uplisting. So this is just another metrics of, of that. The S3 filing will give us access to very affordable financing from what we've seen in the past. So we're looking forward to that going effective. But, again, there certainly aren't any certainties there. Uh, it's another dart at the dartboard. If it works, we're going to be in a great space. If it doesn't, our financing rates have continued to get healthier and healthier every time we go, uh, we go out to the capital markets. Well, one of the companies that we don't talk about a lot because there's so much going on with you in Las Vegas and elsewhere in California, all the way across the country, let's talk a little bit about Edible Garden and what they've been doing. They shipped their first order of nutritionally enhanced super leaf lettuce to ShopRite supermarkets. We touched once briefly on this enhanced super leaf lettuce, but let's hit that again. And again, let's touch touch a little bit on the distribution as well. ShopRite is big. I mean, this is a big PR for your company. And Edible Garden seems to just keep clicking along. Go ahead, Derek. 
Yeah, I mean, like I said, you know, the easiest way to us for us to grow sales on the edible garden side is to introduce new products into our existing sales network, right? So it's it's one thing to go out to new retailers and establish new relationships, and those are longer sales cycles. We have to prove ourselves. They have to get to know us. We have to work with their buyers. But the existing infrastructure that we have, we have great close relationships with, and we've been delivering, say, basil or butterhead lettuce on a consistent basis with consistent quality. It's easy for us to go to them and say, hey, we've got a new product, and the and the uh, the, 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 the co-development with uh, Rutgers University to develop this, the Super Leaf, which is that high-nutritional, high-antioxidant, uh, redhead and uh, red leaf and, and green leaf lettuce that we've been distributing through the Shoprite chain has had great reception, and part of it's because a obviously it's a great product, right? People are paying more and more attention as they get more educated about food quality to what do- every dollar that they spend in the grocery store. What am I actually getting it back from it from a nutrition standpoint? I'm putting a dollar out. What am I actually receiving back? So things like iceberg lettuce, guess what? Not very much. In, in, you know, enriched, uh, high antioxidant, uh, nutritious uh, uh, red leaf lettuce or green leaf lettuce, I'm getting a ton back for the dollar that I spend. And people are starting to understand that. That's one of the reasons products like this are becoming so successful in the marketplace, not to mention the science behind it, Rutgers University, and the fact that we merchandise it really well. And so when you walk into a ShopRite store or any store that's carrying these products, we have our own end caps, we have our own displays, we have our own racking systems, and that's one of the reasons we don't get lost with the commoditized items on the shelves. So it's had great reception. The product's moving extremely well. Uh, we have some people that are interested in growing it in other areas of, of the country. We're working at doing some kind of licensing agreements with. So we're happy with how it's turned out so far. We're continuing to push all the brands at Edible Gardener, but specifically this one is an entree to new markets for us. Well, and I think one big line begets another big line, and I'm talking about the distribution channels, the sales channels. I mean, ShopRite picking this up is a big coup for the company and allows the company to have that validation to get into some of the other lines out there, some of the other channels out there. So it's big on the East Coast. How far has it pushed towards the West Coast, that being Edible Gardens? Is there any push within the company to get this coast to coast? Yeah, we're really, really trying to establish a West Coast footprint right now. We're talking with other cultivators. And remember, our expansion strategy was not to build out existing new facilities uh, and have it be our CapEx and you know have to raise the capital with everything else we have going on. And there's a ton of existing greenhouse space that's operated throughout the country where people are growing flowers and ornamentals and those types of things. So we're in talks with a lot of different growers out on the West Coast that have cultivation space available and we're very interested to do, like I said, licensing agreements and partnership agreements with them in, in multiple markets. So we have the retail store footprint. You know, we're in, we're in facilities, whether it's Kroger, Marshes, Walmart, that have national footprints. So we want to make sure we have the ability to expand on that. So we're establishing these relationships. We're working hard to find new providers and people that can grow under our standards uh, and under our, our, our protocols. And, uh, you know, we hope to be able to announce some stuff in the not-too-distant future, but the West Coast is going to be an amazing market, and we want to make sure we've got a footprint there, certainly. Once again, we're speaking with Derek Peterson, CEO of Terratech Corp, and we are talking about all things right now, edible gardens, and of course, we've touched on a lot of other things earlier in this audio interview. We want you to listen back to the shareholder earnings call as well. That just was conducted last month. A lot of great information there. Keep following the flow of news here for TRTC. That's the ticker symbol. Well, Derek, we've touched on a lot of things as I just referenced. Anything else you want to touch on? How about a quick update on Nevada? Well, we've certainly got a lot of projects going on. So uh, I think during the last earnings call, I gave an update on Nevada timelines. We're still uh, we're still on tar- target to meet those same time parameters. We're going to have all the retail facilities open 
uh, by this summer. The cultivation uh, opened by January of 2017, as well as the extraction facility. All of that's really on target. We're, what's really important to us this year is to spend a lot of effort and energy on the legalization campaigns. Because remember, our two biggest catalysts are recreational legalization of both the California and Nevada marketplace. California is backed by Sean Parker, Facebook. I feel like we've got a pretty high probability for that to pass there. Nevada is going to need a lot of effort and energy, so we're going to put a lot of energy into making sure that people vote yes on two in Nevada for recreational legalization. Because if that happens, we go from you know 10 miles per hour, 15 miles per hour to 100 pretty quickly. Um, so we're, we're we're spending most of our energy on building out and finishing the Nevada projects, but at the same time focusing on the recreational initiatives and a couple of the other medical initiatives, specifically Florida and the country as well. Well, what a great time to be taking a closer look at TRTC. There's the ticker symbol again. If you want to learn more about the company, visit them or visit them on social media. TerraTechCorp.com is the website. And, of course, you can find all the links within their press releases. Derek, as always, thanks so much for your time here today at SmallCapVoice.com. Thanks again, Stuart. Talk to you soon. All right. For Derek Peterson, this is Stuart Smith saying thanks so much for listening. SmallCapVoice.com today's leader in investor relations, capital formation, and retail support provides its clients with the highest level of service. Our audio interviews are disseminated to one of the largest opt-in audiences available today. How? We at smallcapvoice.com believe in aligning and affiliating ourselves with other leaders within the investor relations community. By sharing resources, each affiliated firm is made that much stronger and each client is served that much better. Our focus is to identify and provide the very best financial services and solutions available to clients and their shareholders. For more information about our services, please call us at 512-267-2430 or visit us on the web at www.smallcapvoice.com.